BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for this Thursday, February 29th starts now. On today's program, Ben welcomes back from Illinois' 14th District, State Representative Kelly Cassidy. The Ben Jarofsky Show, a presentation of the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago. If you want to know what to do, where to go, what to eat, what to drink, you want to know what the best in Chicago is, what the voters voted on, and what the best things in Chicago are, just spend some time at Chicago Reader. It's all there for you. And if you want more Ben Jarofsky, head to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. Now I'll spell that for you. It's J-O-R-A-B as in victory, S-K-Y. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Fast and Furious Thursday, and here's why. Because it's Thursday and things are breaking fast and furiously. I got an old friend, dear old friend, Casey. It's been too long since she's been on the show. <laughs> Kelly Cassidy, stay rep, standing by. Kelly, things are happening. Let me just run down. I've just thought about this before we went on the show. Like, just judicial rulings alone. Uh, judicial rulings alone. And neither I nor Kelly are lawyers, and yet you're forced to have just a, make a minimum understanding of how the legal system works. So last night, uh, while I was heading off to the Bulls game, yes, my beloved Bulls won. Thank you. I was there. You can thank me. Actually, what you can do is thank Ethan because he is like the absolute lucky charm. Um, but we were Wait, there. Were you second balcony or first down low? We were in a we were in a suite. Oh, excuse me, Kelly Cassidy. Uh, well, anyway, I was in my regular old seat, and it was a great game, double overtime. A friend had a party, so we went, and then, you know, Ethan's home for spring break, and he's my sports nut, so it was great. Well, then you got a little taste of a good night the night Absolutely. before they lost. Uh, but while I was on my way, this is the point. Boom, boom. Sorry. <laughs> texts come in. Boom, boom. One text saying, yay, yeah. <laughs> a judge in Cook County judge Tracy Porter booted Donnie Trump off the ballot. We all know. We all know, ladies and gentlemen, everyone knows he shouldn't be on the ballot. Even MAGA, if you get MAGA alone in a room and you go, come on, MAGA, just be honest. Okay. If we got uh, Kelly's old friend, Darren Bailey in a room, DB, let's not, let's, let's just, there's no cameras. There's no mics. No one's going to hear what you have to say. The, the, the rule says if you, Participated in insurrection against the government. You can't be uh, run for office. Wasn't that an insurrection, DB? Come on, big fella. I think even DB, if you're away from the cameras, Kelly, away from the cameras, we'll go, yeah, it was an insurrection, but F you, Benny. So uh, I I do believe You have a lot was- more faith in my old friend, DB, than I do. The, the delusion is real, friend. DB. Poor DB got undercut by Trump, man. Now, that's a whole other story. <laughs> He's a, I'm, Donnie, I'm going to kiss your butt so much. You're going to have to endorse me. And Trump goes, nah, I think I'll go with both. Nah. I'm going with both because I think he's going to beat you, DB. And I don't want to be with a loser. 
right? All right, maybe DB's the one MAGA guy who would sit, insist that it wasn't an insurrection, even though we all know it was an insurrection. The point is, uh, she kicked him off the ballot, and then it's immediately been appealed. She stayed her uh, decision, uh, her ruling, the impact until uh, Donnie has atta- can appeal to the Supremes. That same day, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled that they're going to consider whether Trump has immunity for the crimes he committed in the insurrection. Oh, geez. I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding me, Supremes. You are so <laughs> that is like unbelievable. You really do believe he can commit any crime if he's president. How is that it? Or you just don't want to be held accountable uh, for, uh, you know, if he gets kicked off the ballot or if he is convicted. You don't want MAGA being mad at you. Then that's going to tie into something that I'm talking about with Kelly Cassidy right off the bat. And then, of course, I think it was last week. I've lost track of time. Another Cook County judge uh, booted bring Chicago home off the ballot. So suddenly yep. Chicagoans woke up to the reality. Oh, my God. You mean the, the mayor's not an emperor? <laughs> There's judges? I can't recall any judge uh, ruling against Daly or Emanuel. Cannot recall a Cook County judge. Can I got one for me? you. Megs Field. Yeah, after the fact. <laughs> well, no, he was told no. He tried to do it the right way. He was told no, and so he did it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay. So did he get any punishment for that? For Definitely not. Definitely not. I stand by what I, I, more and more as time goes on, the bias, this is not why I brought Kelly on. So I'm just going to stay this and then we'll move on. The bias that exists in this town for mayors Daly and Emanuel, in contrast to how mayors Lightfoot and Johnson are treated is overwhelming. It's in the media. Yes. Mainstream media. You are very guilty of having an immense bias, behavior that you follow intolerant when it was Lori Lightfoot, you welcomed when it was Mayor Daley and Mayor Rahm. Uh, And powers that Mayor Johnson has, you say, oh no, you're overstepping your bounds. But you would let, you let Daley get away with ripping up Meg's field. Kelly, you actually proved my case. In your attempt to undercut my case, I know I literally I was not trying to undercut your case because I knew the outcome would would reinforce it. But I do. And I it's possible that was a federal judge. Right. Because airports. Uh, so so your your initial premise may remain true. Yeah. Because I it may not have been a Cook County judge. I can, it just remains what? my favorite act of mayoral. Overs- I don't even I don't know the word for power, it. Egregiousness. It, it, I mean, it's it, it. But it takes it to the level of art. Okay, so here's okay. We're in a tangent with a tangent with a tangent. We're going to get back to what I really want to talk to you. It's first. what we do. We tangent. Yeah, we we tangent. But number one, so I had a smile on my face with the outrage that encountered um, Mayor Daly's decision. Millennials, this was before Z's. This is before you were born. Uh, it was 2003. I want to say, I'm doing this from memory when he just uh, on his own uh, ripped up a. Beggs Field, the little airport that was on the lakefront. He just ripped it up. In the middle of the night. In the middle. Sent a backhoe in the middle of the night while there were firefighters sleeping in the fire station on, on, on the island. And they, they literally all thought they were being invaded. I knew a guy that was sleeping that night. They thought they were invaded. They were invaded they by were. the mayor's army. Uh, and uh, so oh, maybe he could not, should have been ruling. Maybe that was an insurrection and some judges that are booted him off the ballot daily in 2007. Uh, there was great outrage over it. It was clearly overstepping his uh, authority. Uh, there had been, like the hearings 
to intended to weigh the pros and cons of doing this were abruptly ended. Uh, whatever authority the state house had over it, the feds had over it, were thrown out the window. Yep. Uh, it was just an act of power by a mayor who thought he could get away with anything. And and by and large, like rank and file people thought it was badass. Well, okay, that's where there was, uh, yeah, well, r- r- here's where I must make my confession, Kelly. Of all the egregious acts perpetrated by Mayor Daly, most uh, which I vehemently spent so much of my life fighting futilely. This is the one I was kind of like, yeah, if you're going to have power, I, I'd rather have a, a park I agree. Than a- <laughs> I agree. Like, it, it, it is like art. It, it rises to the level of art. The fact that he had a bunch of, like, these are these are streets and sand machine operators queued up to roll in the middle of the night and that never leaked. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating to me. Endlessly then, fascinating. By the way, and then so to this point, I just want to, again, this is not why I brought you on, but now my mind's on there. So really the only people that used Meg's Field on a regular basis were powerful people, well-to-do people, yep. uh, legislators that were going back and forth between Chicago and Springfield and yep. just were like too important to drive or take the train uh, or the Greyhound bus uh, or hitchhike, whatever. Uh, and um, so it was the business community, the corporate business community that was aghast. And yet they had to swear their allegiance to Mayor Daley. You know what I mean? They were really mad, but they had a whole back. That's when I realized how much power Daly had. Yeah. Like, I'm really mad, but he's a great mayor in every other way. Right. But like <laughs> literally, there were planes on the tarmac. Like there there were people who couldn't leave because he did that. It's fascinating to me. And yeah. and like I said, to your point, while there were a few commercial flights out of there, it was it was the state plane, it was private planes, there were very little commercial activity. So most people did see it. Uh, in a sticking it to the man kind of way and you know by and large praised him for it yeah and the man who was stuck to was too chicken to fight back (laughs) exactly see well you're really not the man man who was stuck to the man who stuck you is the man right exactly Uh, now pause before we move on to where i really want to talk about and think what if it was mayor Lori lightfoot oh holy hell really (laughs) really oh there, there right? aren't enough. There aren't enough flat lorries on the planet to to uh, make up for what would come from that. Just imagine Crane Chicago business there at, and your old friend Greg Hines. Their attitude, if it was Lori Lightfoot, as opposed to Richard Daly, who had done that. Imagine the Tribune editorial board. Oh my God! Yelling. Yeah, crazy, 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 crazy. So mainstream media. I just want you to pause and reflect. <laughs> just look in the mirror at the bias and just think about it. Okay. It's all I, I don't ask for a lot. Just think about it. Okay. I realize you're under a lot of pressure from your bosses. All right. Um, wow. So I talked about uh, MAGA and they're I sort of alluded to it in the introduction. So let's get this out of the way first. Uh, part of the reason I immediately reached out to you is uh, several of my listeners sent out a tweet sent me immediately because they know I'm on Twitter. They go, you got to see, you got to have Kelly Cassidy on after this tweet tweet that you posted. I forget when this week, uh, but it's sort of like a MAGA troll reaction mm-hmm. uh, to Kelly Cassidy's uh, endorsement of Clayton Harris uh, for sec- uh, secretary of state for uh, state's attorney uh, over Eileen O'Neill Burke, who like, if we go back in time, like I, I view this as like, 
an attempt to redo the 2000, what year was it? 16 state's attorney's race. So we go back in time, Kelly Cassidy. Um, so you endorsed uh, Clayton Harris. And why don't you just tell us a tale of uh, how MAGA reacted? Uh, so I feel like this is an example of the kind of reaction uh, that MAGA has to things they don't like, and which is probably, in my humble opinion, why they've intimidated so many well, the Supreme Court in particular, uh, into being very careful about how they rule uh, with defendant Trump. So take it away, Kelly. Yeah. So I, in reality, I, what I did was call out some hypocrisy. The Tribune has done had done a really good investigative report into some of the um, concerns about one of the candidates for um, for state's attorney, and uh, you know revealed that that. She had um, participated in the wrongful conviction of a of a child, and in that instance, <clears throat> there were significant concerns about whether this case was truly valid. And what we had to do, so so the, in their endorsement of Eileen Burke, the Trib completely ignored all of their reporting. It was front page stories. They are going to get journalism awards for, for these stories. And so I, I published a, a letter to the editor pointing out that hypocrisy. This set people's hair on fire. Nobody wanted to speak about the substance of the letter. It was really just, or even, you know, whether or not I should, whether or not you should support Clayton. Everybody wanted to speak about whether or not I was actually a woman, um, whether my physical appearance was pleasing to them, um, all sorts of name calling. It just really, like all of the troll greatest hits were played out almost instantly. The level of reaction was stunning and could only be coordinated um, because it all came in so quickly. Um, this was not organic. And so I decided to fight fire with fire and I tweeted about it and shared some of the things that were said to me and about me, um, which uh, it's been entertaining. Like it was a, it was a heck of a week of, uh, you know, people's reactions, more trolls piling on, um, you know, and the reality is we just have a high level of ugliness in our world mm -hmm. and, you know, a high number of people who feel safe saying whatever they want in particular to, women and marginalized communities. So, you know, presume, presuming I'm trans, which by the way, like one of my favorite things about all of this is all the people who have called me asking me if I'm okay. And, you know, the truth is, you know, I, I, I said in the press, I've been called worse by better. But <laughs> what I really feel is if folks think that the best way to hurt my feelings is to compare me to some of the most beautiful, thoughtful, resilient badasses on the planet, they're dumber than I thought they were <laughs> because honest to God, like yeah. I, I, I would put trans woman up against some of these morons in their mother's basements. Well, okay. So how do I put this? The reason, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, but the, the reason there's concern uh, is like the viciousness of the attack. Yeah. Yeah. And the hate that's just, uh, revealed in the attack absolutely uh and so uh and the fearlessness with which maga feels obviously that they're 
sheltered and shielded from any consequences for their behavior. We've seen that, uh, Kelly, well, throughout Donald Trump's yeah. career with Donald Absolutely. Trump. But he's getting ready, if elected, to pardon everyone from the January 6th insurrection. Uh, and so MAGA is feeling it, too. Do you yeah. follow me? MAGA's yeah. feeling it. Like, oh, man, I'm Absolutely. above it all. We're, they're uh, even more empowered than ever before. That's very real. And and that's kind of what I what I I guess that, that's sort of what I mean by how quickly and coordinated it was. Right. It this was within minutes of my tweet, there were, you know, probably three or four quote tweets that began these threads of ugliness. Um and and they they aren't they there is zero shame there is zero concern for any kind of proper propriety whatever you want to call it um you know we we do not we i am not human and unworthy of human consideration and anyone that they perceive as other falls into that category as well yeah and uh, and let me just go back to what what set it all off and and throw out an olive branch from my uh, mainstream media that I assailed at the start of the show. Uh, <laughs> listen, I understand the distinction between the Tribune editorial board, which is, and this is me speaking, not Kelly Cassidy, which is utterly worthless. It's complete joke when you read it, how any editorial board for an institution that has been ravaged and destroyed by capitalism, which just so blindly wave the flag of capitalism. I think that's a moment that Dr. Freud should be engaged in taking a look at. <laughs> that said, there are a lot of outstanding journalists who've worked absolutely. for the Chicago Tribune, even back in the days when it was absolutely a wretched and racist newspaper, there were still a handful of outstanding journalists. Yeah. And this is the type of journalism the Tribune has been really good at, in my humble opinion, Kelly, over the last 30 years, wrongful imprisonment cases yep. uh, where people have just overzealous uh, criminal prosecutors have forced cases that should never have been brought to court. And then we'd realize later on, oh my goodness, an innocent person has been spent 40 years. There's a lot of journalists that the Tribune has spent a lot of yeah. hours on. So I hats off to them. Nothing but love. And, and I, I could not, work. I could not agree more. And that was really the the nature of my letter to the editor. It, it, it It's not only hypocritical on the part of the editorial board, it is, it, undermines the quality work of the people that are part of their organization it it completely negates what those those truly working journalists were able to uncover yeah and and, and yeah yeah and, and in their article they gave so the candidate in question eileen o'neill burke uh was the prosecutor who uh was brought that case and she was allowed in that article it's real journalism uh, to state her position. So you, if you want to read her take on it, go read the Tribune article on it. Uh, and, but I'll summarize so, it for you. Oh. She doesn't think she did anything wrong. Okay. Yeah, pretty much summarizes it. So obviously you're not endorsing her. Uh, you're endorsing Clayton Harris. And that, why in your humble opinion, and this is a wide open question, does the Tribune editorial board, when endorsing a candidate, ignore the controversy of that candidate. Like even I, as much as I, when I dealt with Kim Fox's reelection, I had to deal with Justice Smollett, Kelly, yep. okay? Yep. I had to confront the issue there, all right? Even though I, I, wait, am I allowed to say I'm endorsing her? I forget if, because like some IRS will come after me. Even when, when I talked about the election, let's just put it yeah. that way. 
Okay. So what's going on there where the Tribune doesn't even address the challenging aspect of Eileen O'Neill Burke's legacy? Go ahead. I mean, I feel like, you know, first of all, there there was a foregone conclusion that they want to endorse uh, against uh, Clayton as if he's some um, plug and play of Kim and he's not. Um, but they also, I think, um, agree with, with um, Burke that it's not a bad thing for the office to go back to the bad old days. It's not a bad thing for there to be more of a focus on prosecutions than on justice. It's not a bad thing to occasionally get it wrong and ruin an 11-year-old black boy's life. And, you know, that young man is no longer alive, largely because of what being incarcerated at such a young age does to a developing brain. They don't want to own their part in that. They want what they want. They want, you know, the the lady that's going to, you know, be tough on crime. All right, well, let's get in. That's a real thing. Uh, Yeah, I still don't understand how anyone, a credible, uh, well, I guess I'm answering my own question, uh, a credible news source can uh, weigh in on an election, make an endorsement, and not deal with the She was not even asked about it in the editorial board session. She was not asked to address this very fundamental question of her uh, uh, qualification for the job. We are talking about someone who was presented with evidence that an 11-year-old boy who weighed 88 pounds was able to kill someone more than twice that weight and drag them across the floor and managed to leave no physical evidence, yet there were adult bloody handprints that didn't belong to the victim. So as a prosecutor, we've already established at the top of the show, neither one of us are, but you know, we both probably watched plenty of Law and Order. <laughs> one, one would think that being presented with this evidence as the prosecutor who has to be, be the face of the people in court would say, hey, this seems weird. Can you explain this? And maybe this isn't a good case to bring, but that never happened because she very clearly was signing into the 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 sense at the time of the times where we were talking about super predators and she referred to this kid as a new breed the racism inherent in that is disqualifying period all right let's um let's talk about the the response uh that you received it's twofold Uh, one was these ugly attacks uh which we're supposed, I guess, I don't know, they're intended to intimidate you, uh, marginalize you, right. frighten you. Um, you, you know, I, what else, what I just hate filled attacks. Yeah. Uh, and then the other is um, where it's um, more or less to the substance of the point right. you're raising. Um so before I get to the substance, let's deal with the hateful attacks. Will it in any way intimidate you? Do you, I mean, at moments of weakness go, oh, my God, I don't need this. I don't need people ripping me to shreds on and Twitter turning me into a caricature. Uh, I kind of like the clown picture, honestly. <laughs> um, so truth be told, and this has always been my feeling, whether it's the Illinois Family Institute coming after me 
or, you know, or, or random MAGA trolls or anyone in between, the time they spend attacking me is time they're not spending attacking someone who isn't resilient enough to handle their nonsense. And so, you know, I will take it if it means some 12-year-old kid isn't on the receiving end of their horrors. Eight days a week, twice on Sunday. So no, I'm not intimidated. No, I'm not going to quit. No, I'm not going to back down. Uh, all right. And then let's get to uh, the quote-unquote substance. Uh, a day doesn't pass in the city of Chicago, you know this as well as I do, where there's not some just horrific story about crime. It just, it's it's overwhelming at times. I'm reading right now in the Sun-Times their coverage of the murder of uh, Ella French, the police officer. It's yeah. uh we had Lenny on the show, Alderman, Alderwoman Lenny, uh, Mana Hoppenworth was talking about the shootings just yep. down the street from, I think you actually may share a district with. Yeah, Office we do. That's in, my, uh, yeah, that's in my district as well. From Sen High School, the kid uh, uh, was killed. And um, I mean, it's just all over the city all the time. And there's just this knee-jerk reaction that uh, Kim Fox went too far. Uh, we got to go back to the old days. We have to go back to the old days of locking them up and not worrying about whether they're innocent or guilty yep. and uh, just, you know, and that, that, that perception um, fails to acknowledge the dismally low clearance rate of cases um, in, in this city, whether we're talking about uh, the, the clearance, how often a shooting is solved or how often a carjacking is solved. I know that we have somewhere in the neighborhood, it's below 10% clearance rate on, on carjackings, as I recall. And I'm not sure the exact number on, on shootings and murders, different, different, different categories. Um, but you know, it, we're, we're certainly not north of 50% on either one of those, um, and, and I think much lower than that. And so when folks point to the prosecutor as the problem there, they're pointing past the problem. Because a prosecutor can't prosecute a case until the police bring them a case. And in, you know, we're, I'm going to keep referring back to this case uh, that Burke was part of, you know, they have to do a better job than they're doing than bringing evidence, a, a case against an 11 year old boy with complete lack of evidence. Right. So we, we need to do a better job on the front end on solving crimes. And we need to go even more front end and address the root causes. We're not talking about the causes. We're not dealing anything about the causes. Um, and, and so, you know, th this, this sense that this is somehow a prosecution problem is, is very um, uh, misinformed. Do you ever have a, like a gut level emotion uh, in the opposite direction? So for instance, follow me on this. I always make this joke, which is kind of not that much of a joke. Oh, <laughs> Twice a year, I pay my property taxes. And when I do that moment, when I go to the bank and pay it, I have, I feel the inner Bruce Rauner in me. Uh, and uh, like this is outrageous. Uh, the inner Republican. Uh, so when you, you read a, about a horrendous crime or you, you see, you see evidence of it right down the street from where you live or work. Do you ever have a moment where you're like Johnny Catanzara? you know lock them all up i just just lock them all up do you ever have that angry no okay she's shaking her head ladies and gentlemen I, Go ahead. yeah i i no i just um i i understand the the impulse right i i completely i have i have bottomless empathy for that impulse 
I just spent too much time in the system to know better about this. Um, you know, whether we're talking about you know the, the aforementioned clearance rate question and how a prosecutor's office actually works, because I was there for 15 years, um, or you know, like looking at the Edgewater shooting and contemplating what led those kids to shoot those kids and what what we failed to do to keep those kids safe as they walked from school to the L. Um, I, those things I, I fly into rages over, but you know whether or not uh, putting humans in cages is the answer to the problem is never something that pops up for me. I have yeah. too, many, too, many, too many people I love that have been destroyed by prison. Yeah, I actually don't know uh, if that impulse is brought on by any direct connection to crime with the people. Yeah. Well, so for me, like taxes, just I'm happy to pay my taxes. I I feel like I'm, you know, I'm I'm doing the thing that makes this things work. Uh, Well, obviously, you you have never uh, spent any time thinking about the TIF program in the city of Chicago. Oh, I have spent time on that. That's true. (laughs) You wouldn't be so happy. Uh, all right. Well, that is a perfect bridge to what I want to discuss next. Uh, classic Casey quotes uh, in the Sun-Times about two weeks ago. Uh, several listeners pointed them out to me as well. Uh, it had to do with the White Sox stadium. We've been talking <laughs> on this show a lot about the White Sox and Bears. Let's not forget the White Sox. By the way, I'll I'll take this opportunity one more time. Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox completely cut the Bears off at the knees. It is un I haven't seen a power play like this in Illinois politics in years, Kelly Cassidy. The Bears absolutely need hotel motel tax uh, to finance that stadium they supposedly want to build. They haven't come out and said it on the lakefront next to Soldier Field on a site that George Lucas wanted to put his museum on. So you can absolutely guarantee the friends of the park will take them. That's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the Bears, I don't know, Bear, I don't know who's driving this car, but whatever. You need that hotel motel tax. What does Jerry Reinsdorf do? He claims it for himself to build a stadium. He hasn't still paid off the last stadium. He just, un, unbelievable, like, gall, shameless. I got to give him credit almost. And the Bears are like, what? What do we do now? <laughs> the poor Cranes is trying to adjudicate this. They had an editorial the other day. You got to get together, guys, and figure it out. Like, poor Cranes. They want handouts for every rich guy, but they, you know, like, they're not going to get both. Uh, right. Your response to Jerry Reinsdorf's initial request was what's uh, I under a line we talked about on the show. You, you talked about the last time you lived through this. And I didn't realize you were in Florida at the time. So floor is yours. Tell folks what your initial response to uh, Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, request. Go. So I woke up in Springfield last Tuesday morning, um, getting ready for session, you know, sitting around, having my coffee, scrolling through the news. And I see that he's coming to Springfield to ask for uh, a billion dollars. And I I just immediately had the the vision of Dr. Evil with the one million dollars. And um, I, I was feeling a little salty. So I tweeted, uh, you know, something to the effect of, uh, you know, I, 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 it's a billionaire businessman who doesn't like the last stadium we built for him. And now instead of, you know, doing the usual just short of a billion is going full Dr. Evil and, and demanding a billion dollars, not a penny, pal. Read the room, Jerry. <laughs> and I, I fired it off, not really thinking much about it. It was just, you know. Kind of a good morning kind of moment, and I have found myself now sort of the the 
a spokesperson for the no billionaire buyouts uh, uh, caucus, I guess. Um, I did not anticipate that that was going to catch fire the way it did, but I'm fine with it, um, especially since he then doubled down and made clear it's almost $2 billion when you count what he wants from the city. Um, and, you know, the reality is, and a couple of folks have, you know, I did a bunch of, a bunch more interviews than I anticipated, um, but uh, I, I was asked by a couple different folks if I'm a sports fan, and you and I both know that, you know, we, I am a bit of a, a sports mad person, and you know, my sons make up for anything that I lack there. Um, and I, and I, but I, I revealed that I am in fact Cubs fan, hardcore chair, the Cubs caucus in the, in the house. Um, but I would say the same thing to Laura. And the truth is the Cubs were told no. And you know what they did? They did it with their own money. And now everything around the park belongs to them and they're making money hand over fist. Yeah. So just do your business thing. It's really that simple. Okay, well, I would uh, the Laura. The question is Laura Ricketts, one of the owners of the Cubs. I presume that's who the Laura yes. was. Okay, yeah. uh, who's like the the Democratic member of the Ricketts family? It's I look. I that's a whole other subject. To, you know, they they got like five Republican MAGA guys, and then they got I mean, Laura Ricketts. Look, my brother in law is Newt Gingrich. I can't <laughs> make any. <laughs> you do not pick your family oh, even when you marry into it you don't pick your family that is so true i forgot the new gingrich connection boy i get his emails and that guy is out of his freaking they mind. have gone even like, I, every time i think he has gone completely round the bend we find another bend <laughs> oh my god he never runs out of bends i got the no. bend because of him. <laughs> uh all right uh so Lots unpacked there. I okay. I'm going to go free market libertarian University of Chicago economist on you. Uh, what uh, what the Cubs have is a market, and uh, the Chicago Cubs have a market. People want to go to Cubs games. People want to go to Bulls games. People, by and large, do not want to go to White Sox games uh, enough to fill that stadium and make that payroll and pay for the salaries. Uh, Kelly, and that is why the White Sox, they exist because they're subsidized. If they didn't have their state subsidy right now, I don't know if the White Sox could exist here in the city of Chicago. And you talk about issues that are never discussed whatsoever when we like everybody's talking, what a boon this will be if we give the White Sox money. It'll get related Midwest to figure to fill up this vacant lot they have in the South Loop. Do not get me started on related Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> Where, why? What's, where are you going to go? Go. I got you started. Go. They ma they manage one of the larger scattered site housing properties in the city, and it happens to be in my district. And for and they haven't owned it this entire time, um, but for the last 12 years, it has been an endless array of management companies who treat these low-income residents like absolute, can I say it? Shit? Yes, you can say it. Um, I know you're used to me saying much worse things. Yeah. Um, they, they treat these folks horribly. They infantilize them. They do not take care of the properties. It, it's just, it's a, it is a hot stinking mess. So like my anger didn't even like I, you, I even gotten started on that part of the thing. Um, but you know, to your free market question, um, they, they did have a say in what the stadium looked like, didn't they? Right. They built the stadium they wanted. Oh, you're about the White Sox. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1991. Yes, they did. I, I don't know if you put the Taj Mahal 
Uh, well, you can imagine watching a baseball game at the Taj Mahal. Uh, with that, bringing the crowd. I mean, this is a, this is a whole other issue. The issue of what is the White Sox market in the city of Chicago? Uh, I have come over the years to really appreciate and enjoy White Sox Park. Uh, and I go there with friends as bad as they are. Yes, I go to White Sox games. Uh, and I just sit and chat with my friends. And they're just, we laugh at how bad the team is because the team was terrible last year. Um, so I've gotten over sort of that attitude, that uh, knee-jerk attitude. Well, this is not Wrigley Field. This is ugly. This is cookie cutter. That was the attitude back in 1991. And right. So I'm, I, I don't think it's the stadium. I think it's just there is – it's a bigger question. Is there a market in the Chicago area for two Major League Baseball teams? Have the White Sox – like such a reduced market that they could only compete if the state subsidizes their operations. And I think that's a question that I, the Jerry Reinsdorf has to answer if he wants more money. If he, the, if the, the park answer is, was more full in the, in the, you know, run up to that world series win, like invest in your damn team, pal, give us something to watch. Right. Like that. And, and again, so one of the follow-up interviews I did, Franz Spielman from the Sun-Times called me and was talking about this and, she shared with me that Reinsdorf's react to the, all of this was that, and I'm, I'm going to try to get this right, but it's really hard to, to, so he's aware of his mortality. He is concerned that when he dies, his son will have no choice but to sell the team. And unless they are in a better facility, the team will be, sold off to the highest bidder in another state, which is where we got to my Florida roots. Because she, and so she asked me for my reaction to that scenario, that this is really to help Illinois keep this team. And, and I, I, I paused for longer than is normal for me. You've known me for a minute. I'm not often uh, caught without something to say. And, and finally, I revealed that the reason I was silent was that the only word that was in my brain at the moment was bullshit. <laughs> and I went on to explain that, you know, in the, in the 80s and uh, mid to late 80s, there was, I, I was living in Bradenton, Florida, um, right next to Sarasota, Florida, where the White Sox spring training facility was. And they had there was a, a many years battle with with Sarasota demanding a new spring training facility or they would leave. So Sarasota built a new spring training facility, and you know what they did? I think it was maybe only a year, and then they left. And my high school got to play baseball in a really nice stadium <laughs> for quite a while. Um, and so that argument holds absolutely no water with me. Uh, I was kind of surprised that Fran didn't use the bullshit quote, honestly. <laughs> yeah, a little disappointed. They would have done uh, B-U-L-S and then. Oh, the line, asterisk. Line, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Every, and of course, I'd be like, wait, wait, I need help. What is the after the S? <laughs> you know, I went to Evanston High School. We didn't talk that way. All right. We were very refined at Evanston. All right. We never used words like that. Um, yeah, I read that article. That article had me laughing because they had, it was a counterpose. You were on one side uh, saying that, you would be against it and then they brought on i forget the dude's name oh boy it was some manufacturing group who was 
finally looking back at the day, I'm not making this up, finally looking back at the days of Jim Thompson. That was a governor who had to get things done, and he stopped the clock on the legislature. I think they won't even give Mad Dog any credit, okay? They always right. give Thompson credit. I know. You yeah. guys hate Mad Dog so much, okay? You know, I think it was Madigan who stopped the clock. It was not Madigan Thompson. that stopped the clock, yeah. <laughs> but you're never going to see anybody give Madigan credit for anything, all right? They got Thompson statue outside. I'm not making this up. There's a bust of Thompson outside of White Sox Park. There's no yep. bust of Mad Dog. He was the one who stopped the freaking clock. He started. Tim Mapes and Madigan were like holding the clock. Like, yep, literally. Um, yeah. yeah. You weren't there, but you nope. know how the game works. It's not the yep. governor yep. who stopped the clock. It's the speaker. Right. All right. Anyway, right. Uh, so they rewrote history. But the point in rewriting history was that this is a governor who has to get things done. And if the White Sox leave uh, the state of Illinois, it's going to be on Fritzker. They were trying to make it like a macho thing. Right. Right. You know, like Fritzker. I love JB's response was basically, mm, don't look at me. I, you right. know. Uh, I don't really care what you say. Right, exactly. Uh, so where do you think this is going? I mean, like I said, the, the, the White Sox. Are- I don't know what the guy's end game might be. And of course, you know, then everybody else put their hands out. So, you know, I, I made reference that earlier I said I would tell Laura Ricketts no. And then lo and behold, she pops up with, you know, the, the Red Stars. Um, I've not been, I've not had the direct ask yet. So I have not had the opportunity to say no. Yeah. Come on, Laura, man. Look, here's the thing. I have never voted to subsidize a, a, a profitable business, and, I, and I'm not going to. The day that we call a special session because women and children first need the subsidies, subsidy or they will close or, you know, uh, Simon's Tavern in Andersonville needs a subsidy, you, we, can, we can talk about that. Yeah. But the, these, these gigantic, monolithic, plenty of money to do your own shit people they can they can pound sand yeah i uh yeah well my i'm i here's uh i gotta give credit where credit is due my dear friend mcdumkey this is the mcdumkey theory uh that uh reinsdorf and related are asking for the sky and the moon and they'll settle for the tiff uh so there's already a tiff designated for that uh and uh so that'll be what they get they're not probably going to drop their request from the state from this for the sales tax tiff god yeah. uh which they're seeking and uh the hotel motel tax uh and that will enable the bears then to come hat in hand for the hotel motel tax uh so that's the mcdumkey theory uh about what's going to go down i gotta give a shout out yeah. to Mick. uh so what do you what do you think about the mcdumkey theory I mean, it, it, it's certainly, you know, everybody comes in asking for the moon, the sun and the stars and, you know, hoping for a cup of coffee. Right. But, uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, for me, like it just it really goes back to the fact that, you know, since late last year, as I've been meeting with service providers across the state who, you know, whether it's talking about, um, you know, pay increases for direct service providers or, the fact that HIV AIDS funding has been flat funded for three solid years in Illinois while we've been giving increases in other categories, or the fact that sexual assault service providers are facing a massive federal cut and, you know, have been flat funded for a few years here as well. You know, until I don't have to have those conversations, all these other jackasses can just do their thing. Um, Because if there is money to go around, whether it's, you know, money that, that, belongs in a TIF or not, I hate TIFs, you know how I feel about those, um, or, you know, sales tax, subs, any any of these, property tax relief, any of that stuff. Um, if there's money for that, there is money to make sure that we can truly 
end transmission of HIV in Illinois. There is money to make sure that sexual assault survivors actually get the services they need. There's money to make sure that people who um, work as direct service providers are willing to serve the people who are most in need. When there is a almost 100% difference in the pay for folks who are, are, who are private agency um, caregivers versus publicly funded caregivers, as long as that exists, all these other questions are academic for me. Uh, well done. Well, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, Kelly Cassidy for governor. Uh, all right. Now, I thought um, you liked me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Kelly. You got a pretty good life uh, right now. You <laughs> all right. There, I just saw this story in the paper. I didn't know if you were being facetious or having fun or what have you. Um, but I want to uh, talk about the uh, the ruling in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, IV ruling. We talked a lot about it last week. And um, and uh, MAGA. So this is MAGA Unleashed. Uh, and even Donald Trump is trying to figure out. Uh, he's trying to figure out how to deal with this uh, beast uh, that he created. Uh, and he doesn't quite know how to deal with it. Uh, you know, the political uh, fallout uh, to the ruling that essentially made uh, IB what, illegal. Can you punish pe people for attempting it? I, it hasn't all sorted out in Alabama, but it yeah, was... there's not there's not clarity on sort of what the full outcome is, what the, because the ruling simply establishes personhood for an embryo, yeah. um, which then, you know, opens a lot of questions right like you you know you've seen people ask about well can i start claiming you know i've got i've got five on ice do i have five dependents to, to claim that kind of stuff um but also what are what what potential criminal uh implications might there be um does the the uh you know zygote that fails to develop is that a murder right like all of those things become questions and and so this has has put a lot of uncertainty um, out there. I will say, uh, I, I love that um, you know, Senator Duckworth is uh, you know, pushing to codify access to IVF, um, but <laughs> there's the, the, the pushback on that now. So you're saying that, you know, the, that some of these federal Republicans are trying to get out from under this and, and the you know, so-called unintended consequences. And the reality is they're very much intended consequences. These are the same people who were fighting against stem cell research um, over the years. But um, there is, somebody went on uh, the Tony Perkins show and said that the, the, that, the bill, that, that Duckworth's bill would wipe away pro pro prohibitions and legalize human cloning, gene editing, human animal hybrids. Like, these people are bananas. Yeah. This would do nothing but protect access to this form of reproductive care that I have benefited from. Um, you know, my, I wouldn't have my twins without it. Um, you know, and there were there were a couple of frozen embryos left over that we ultimately decided not to use. Um, and you know, that's that is the process. Um, but this, the cruelty of this ruling has left people mid-cycle in Alabama, not sure what to do, and that's very dangerous to your health. Um, you know, the, the process involves injecting a lot of medication that makes your body kick into extra high gear um, and you have to be monitored regularly. Uh, and never, never mind the emotional roller coaster of infertility and what an IVF cycle feels like emotionally. Um, there, there's just abject cruelty to this decision.
Well, when it, when it, when almost in any issue these days, uh, I sort it out between uh, the abject cruelty part of it uh, and the political implications. So I do this all the time uh, with the war in Gaza. All the time I'm thinking about this. And I, I always hesitate to have a political conversation about it because I, in some ways it cheapens what's happening in Gaza. Um, uh but I have those conversations anyway because I live in the real world. In this matter, it's the, you just pointed out the reality that families face in Alabama and probably in other states. We're going to do the, they're going to copycat this. You know this yeah. as well as I do. Yeah, there uh, are no there are no one offs in the um, anti choice movement, right? They 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 everything they do is scattershot. They try it in several jurisdictions, and it's always a race to the court with them. And, and they do it in a really thoughtful and coordinated way. They know which circuits are the places to file in everywhere in every state. And, you know, it's it's it is constant. So you're absolutely right. This is not the first such ruling we're going to see. Um, and we have seen already states introduce legislation based on this. Um, you know, th this this is their playbook. So it's clear that uh, the strategist whose job it is to run the campaigns realize that this is a losing issue. So I'm, now I'm going to move to the political issue, the side of things. Uh, what impact do you think it will have in November in the election? Well, well, I think it remains to be seen, right? Like how much do they work? You know, what do they what do they wriggle out of? Um, but, you know, what we have seen time and time again is that abortion wins. Um, and and in many ways, more so than ever. And, and one of the examples I like to give is um, Ohio and, and Michigan, their ballot initiatives. So there were counties in Ohio where the abortion referendum did better than Trump did. Counties that Trump won where the abortion referendum did better than Trump. In Michigan, and both Ohio and Michigan have... Um, limitations in their language. They, they've got language around, you know, up until viability or something to that effect. Some, I think one has numbers and one has the concept. And a, a polling group, a well-respected polling group went back into Michigan after they were done, after they passed and repeated their poll. So they were the ones that had polled the first place in the first place. And they, this was really intentional on their part. Um, they did the polling initially around the language that was on the ballot. After it was over, they went back in and did a did a poll using the same methodology, only testing a completely um, a, a, a cleaner set of language that simply says access to abortion shall not be um, in, inhibited. And it did better than the one that had viability in it. And, and even people on our side sort of negotiate against ourselves and be like, OK, we got to build in limits or they're going to think we're unreasonable. The reality is that polling showed and they did follow up work with it with with the, the the universe. When people see limitations because of the end of Roe and Dobbs and all of the sort of cascading waterfall of things that have come about because of Dobbs, they think you're trying to get over on them. When the language has any sort of nuance to it, it feels like a trap. And so the cleaner the language you use, the better. And abortion wins, period. So I think this would uh, have even more popularity than abortion rights. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. And, you know, there, it, it was interesting. When we were working on the post-obs package, there were some folks who wanted to do some standalone IVF um, language to, to put Republicans on the spot to vote against it, to dare them to vote against it. Um, and, and 
it, it wasn't statutorily doable to, you know, because our, our definition is inclusive. Um, but, but that's, I think, what we're seeing play out here, right, with, with the Duckworth bill. Um, we'll have some IVF protections um, coming up this session, but truth be told, our, our protections are solid here in Illinois. If you are an IVF patient, um, Illinois is probably the most IVF-friendly state in the country after all of the laws we've passed and have been for many years. We were among the first to, to codify coverage for well, um, fertility treatment. Well, we're heading, in, again, neither one of us is, are, are lawyers, not constitutional scholars, uh, but it really doesn't matter Uh the more I about before I get to my question, Kelly, because these judges make stuff up the, as they go along on their merry way. So they just use the their, their knowledge of the right. Constitution to stitch together whatever political objective or their, they or have their lack place. of knowledge and overt confidence in you know just people believing what they say. I mean, you know, the, the, the decisions we're seeing out of this Supreme Court have have you know really exhibited that. So to this point, uh, yes, Illinois has protection. Uh, and yes, the thesis of, of overturning Roe in the Dobbs decision was that we should leave this up to the states. Right. Now I'm about to watch the Supreme. Shout out Ed Mullen, uh, your your friend, and uh, who was the like the brains behind um, the effort to kick Trump off the ballot in Illinois. The Supremes, I he's my office you, mate. He's right next door. Oh no! <laughs> what up, Ed? Uh, and uh, everybody's in that office. Good God! Every lefty in the North Side of Chicago. Uh, the Supremes are about to say, oh, <laughs> state rights, state, no, nah, no, nah, Colorado. Nah, not so got, much this time. Yeah, yeah not so much. You got to take Donnie, no matter what insurrection he led. Illinois, sorry. So I feel that they're very capable of com being completely inconsistent. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely. In terms of, you know, in, in, in our case, it's less, less of our stuff would be headed to the Supreme Court. Our biggest risk here is anything that imposes a federal ban. So whether that is legislative action at the national level, if we lose Congress in the White House, or or a or a decision by the Supreme Court that that you know further undermines in some way in in a way that my imagination hasn't cooked up yet, that that's our risk. Yeah. That, that that's really our our biggest risk. All right. Well, it's it's important to stay on your toes, ladies and gentlemen, because the other side is not sleeping. Uh, and that the facetiousness that I was alluding to, I read this uh, story in the Sun Times that you had proposed uh, legislation that would, I'm doing this off the top of my head, give up like a $500 tax credit to anybody who came up from Alabama. Yeah. Uh, as a, were you being serious or is that was your way of needling Alabama? Um, so it's not just about Alabama. And I am, I am as serious as a heart attack. Um, you know, we we have a pretty hidden, uh, somewhat invisible refugee crisis happening at the same time as as our um, as our new arrivals issues are happening. Um, at my office, I have had people roll up on fumes, having left Florida two days before in fear of being institutionalized by a family member, looking for help getting established with residents here residency here. I was at the White House a couple of weeks ago, and from behind me, I heard someone start to share their story. And it was, you know, in, in, in November, my wife and I were living in Virginia. I was uh, receiving gender affirming care and doing my work as an advocate for veterans. And my wife was pregnant with our first child. Within the space of a couple of weeks, I lost access to gender affirming care under a governor's, uh, under the governor's orders. And Shortly thereafter, 
their wife was diagnosed with a fatal fetal abnormality at 17 weeks. And within a week or two, they were packed and living in Rogers Park. Um, I've spoken to folks down in Carbondale and in Champaign-Urbana who are regularly receiving people who are running for their lives. Two nights ago, an end to um, uh, gender affirming care for minors. The numbers of families that, that get their care here in Illinois who are probably sitting there contemplating moving right now, you know, the choice between your home and your kid's house, I'm moving. You know, um, so all of these things actually make this a very, very serious proposal from me. I, I, I wish it could be more. I am aware of our, our fiscal challenges, but I would also counter that by the time somebody files their taxes next year and claims this $500 tax credit, or, you know, if it's a family of, of three taxpayers, 1500 bucks out, you know, they will have been working and paying income tax. They will have been purchasing homes. They will have been purchasing groceries. Well, maybe not groceries anymore because we're going to kill that tax. Purchasing clothing and services and all of the things that help drive our economy. In addition, because of the second half of that bill, which is any healthcare provider in those states, any teacher in those states who is fleeing those policies, they can come here and get, their, get, get that tax credit. That's going to deal with some serious workforce shortages that we have. Whether we're talking about abortion providers or an emergency room doctor who's sick of telling people they have to go home and die rather than get an abortion, right? Like it's any number of things. It's a family with daughters who don't want them to grow up in a place where they're unequal. It's a it's a family with a trans kid. It's you know, it's a it's a new couple who just doesn't want to take risks before they get pregnant. Any oh, that, number of folks. That riff, uh, you sound like me talking about uh the quote-unquote other migrants that's the quote-unquote crisis we have right, right. Uh, i i make that same argument i don't understand why we're not welcoming new people to right. chicago we lost how many thousands of people uh and republicans have it two ways kelly the, yeah. your beloved tribune just joking we'll always <laughs> have these editorials about you know, the people are speaking by leaving you know so many people left and it's because of pritzker or the democrats or madigan always blame i mean what's crazy is i had my district had to get smaller in the remap because i had gained population really the issue is that they're losing population Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the issue uh yeah but then they're then they're crying uh when new residents come in from right exactly exactly and and to be clear these residents are coming in and they're allowed to work we're we're not trying to jump through hoops to help the 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 you know, like trying to find ways to help these folks get work is is among the most frustrating stuff we do but the process to get that work permit is just mind numbingly so, complex so my question to you is this if there are already people coming to the state of Illinois from uh mega states like Florida or Texas or Alabama or Mississippi or have you uh where there's these outrageous uh prohibit laws that prohibit the, your your basic freedoms then why do we get a, why do we need an incentive to bring them here if they're coming here already why do we need an incentive go ahead because the people that are coming here are the people with the means to do so um you know the people who 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 are taking it upon themselves to get safety we need to make sure folks know that they can get safety here um and we need to do what we can to make that possible right so the two examples i just gave you know one of them came in brought their job with them all of that right pretty easy for them. The folks that that fled in the middle of the night and coasted into town on fumes, they need a hand up from us. They need us to reach down and help them. Um, you know, whether, you know, I, I talk about this when I moved to Florida in the early 90s. It was a job transfer for my, my partner at the time. 
So we had a lot of support. We had about six months to plan. It was like we fought through everything. We made multiple trips here to find out where we were going to live, to look for a job for me, to to you know start to become familiar with with where we were going to be living. And we had someone helping with our moving expenses because it was a job transfer. And and that remains one of the more stressful things I have ever done, moving across country to a place that I wasn't familiar with. I had never seen snow before. Uh, like all of the things, you know, the, the reality of this is these are forced decisions. And so we should be doing something to help ease that transition. All right. Well done, Kelly Cassidy. And I think the place she moved was Wheaton. And at another time, she'll retell the story of the cake lady, which is one of my favorite <laughs> stories. Uh, one day I'll type it up into a, like a little drama and Kelly can play herself. And we'll get an actress to play the cake lady. And it'll be pretty No, you got to play the cake lady. I got the apron <laughs> for you. Oh, God, I have to play the cake lady. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll play the cake lady. Uh, all right, Kelly. Thank you so much. I want to thank a shout out to Torrance. He made this possible. I see you, Torrance, uh, and help me set up. Ooh, that schedule. man keeps my life on track. I got to tell you, he is the best of the best. He's the man. Uh, I've I've learned this. I book my own shows. You, you, you got, sometimes you got to go to people who know the people. You get what I'm saying? And that's what makes it happen so a little shout out to you torrents thank you very much i appreciate it all right i'm not Kelly. allowed to do my own scheduling i make a mess of the calendar so i'm i i defer to him in all things <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people are like that uh like they'll kick me to somebody because they'll double book i'm not gonna I do that names. yeah the yeah. thing that i am worst at so like if i had done this with you directly i would probably have put bj 130 <laughs> No, you're the worst. I don't even got to tell some old horror stories. Kelly, frantically. No, no, this is I got to my Cubs game. I got to go to today. Can we do this from the relief field? <laughs> Remember that one? I yeah. like that one. That was a good one. But what would happen with like the BJ entry is I would call Torrance and be like, oh, he's on the calendar. What is this? Yeah. And he'd be like, look, chill, lady. I didn't you do did that. that. You did yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I learned my lesson. I don't go to Torrance. Uh, all right. I Kelly, get on with your day. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Always right? good chatting with you, Ben. All right. That's Kelly Cassie. I also want to thank producer Chris. He does an outstanding job. Thank I'm sure you, Kelly Chris. agrees with me when I say, hey, producer Chris, I give yourself a rain. Take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, Kelly. Bye-bye, Take everybody. Care. Bye, y'all. And remember, you can catch previous Ben Jarofsky shows, get Benny J. bonus interviews, read columns from Ben, read columns from other great reader writers, all at chicagoreader.com. It's free. If you want to donate, you can do that. If you want to buy merch, you can do that. It's all at chicagoreader.com. If you want to follow Ben on Instagram, it's at Benny J. Show. You can check out all of his latest reels, all of his latest drops, and some of his bull stuff. You know he loves the bulls. And don't forget to tell your friends about the Ben Jarofsky Show. Like, subscribe, and follow it on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.